0: It's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Studio Podcast and Ring FC. More energy, more
2: energy. <laughs> it's an emergency. <laughs> okay, okay, okay.
1: Oh, and welcome back to the Studio Podcast, Neringa FC. It's an emergency podcast, a chaos episode. Ryan, how are you doing? How do you think I'm doing? <laughs> how How are you doing? I'll rant in a minute. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'm disorientated. I'm I've fallen out of yeah. time and space. All right.
2: Well, because uh, the what everyone wants right now is some admin, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to get them. This has completely messed with our schedule. Jeanette and I recorded a whole episode of Righty's House today, which is completely out of date now. So there's not going to be a writer's house this week. There's going to be three studios. Obviously, Monday's one, there's this one, and then we'll do another one that will go up on Friday if anything wild happens. If nothing wild happens, then you will get your Four Classicos episode. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's good. That's good, Admin. Go
2: and check some pieces on the of Brian Phillips wrote a thing about the, the Super League. I wrote a thing that went up on Monday night. And yeah, let's go straight into it. So Where do we start? Where do we finish? Wait, wait, wait. Sirens are coming to arrest all the CEOs.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: basically, the European Catfish League is probably no more less than 48 hours after, well, all the clubs decided to drop a statement saying that they were going to launch it. Um, this was triggered earlier on this afternoon when Chelsea fans protested outside the stadium. And then, literally, minutes later, whilst fans were still there, Chelsea announced that they would not be joining the European Super League. Now, some more details arose after we recorded Monday's episode, which, by the way, we just want to say a a huge thank you to everyone who's tweeted us and shared. It It was super kind. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So it looked like Chelsea and Manchester City were the last two teams who needed really convincing to go into this and were very, very uneasy about joining. Right. Did so anyway. Well, Chelsea were the first one to fall. They decided to U-turn. Man City... Has that been made
1: official yet? The yeah, people? they just pulled out Dan Roan, BBC Sport editor, confirmed that.
2: Loads of rumours that Atleti are next. Yeah. In the meantime, Ed Woodward has resigned. That's the
1: ice chair. Yeah, yeah, he's gone. It's huge news. Absolutely huge for Manchester United fans.
2: Um, it looks like there is huge pressure on Agnelli at Juve and Perez at Real Madrid, although at the time of recording we're recording this at 10pm on on Tuesday night in Berlin there's been no announcements we've had discussions about this and actually it's something that I said on Righty's House where that the only it was kind of following up a little bit from the piece that I wrote because the the last paragraph in the piece that I wrote and it was kind of I focused it around Arsenal's involvement a little bit because I thought that focusing on the club that I supported might make a little bit more sense Mm. and I said uh, at best the European Super League was a hollow victory and right. at worst, it was a defeat that they, the clubs might never recover from. Right. And I think we're already seeing this play out right now. Agreed. Um, and I said on Righties House, the, the, the lost tapes. <laughs> swear, man, we've got more Wright's House stuff in the vault than Prince. Yeah, it's true, it's <laughs> true. <laughs> 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 that the only way really for the clubs to shed this rep now would be to fire the executive staff who were responsible for making these calls Another thing I want to throw in that since we aired the episode, the Stadio episode on Monday, Jurgen Klopp did that amazing interview where he was asked about the Super League and kind of doubled down and said, I'm not really a fan of this. We didn't really find out until everyone else did. We only really know what everyone else does. Pep said the same thing. And Bielsa came out with an absolute heat seeker. Well, I mean, you Bielsa, expect to hit Bielsa, yeah. Bielsa too, but I think having two of the most high profile managers of mm. two European Cup winners or Champions League winners who who came out against it straight away, I think was really important um this all kind of feels a little bit like last days of Rome, but
1: before Rome was even built yeah, absolutely it's um it's hubris. I was talking to a friend. it reminded me of that um that nature program where the boa constrictor tries to eat the alligator mm. and its eyes are bigger than its stomach, and it's its greed basically kills it because the alligator basically fights to get out and splits its sides. It reminds me of that just. Thinking you could just trample over the dreams of millions of people mm-hmm. and the dreams of the players and the executive, you know, this is the thing about it, right? Like they were going to turn all those managers and all those players and all those hardworking staff into performing seals. Basically, they were going to turn them into a traveling circus. It was going to be grotesque. And I think what is so powerful about this, Ryan, the lesson I take from this is that like regular people objected in huge numbers mm-hmm. because regular people had an idea of what football was meant to be. Right, everyone, this is the thing. Everyone's got a clear idea of what football's meant to be about on the board level, um, in many cases. And the board level, let's shout out to those clubs, the 14 clubs in the Premier League that rejected this incredible statement by Everton in particular. Everton put out a beautiful statement talking about what football really meant. I thought it was really powerful. Marcus Rashford spoke up. And Herrera spoke up. Um, Luke Shaw put out statements, as you know, along with others. What I love about it was everyone had a sense of that football is... If, even in its form now, even in the challenges football's got now, and it's it's far from perfect. We know that, which is why we've got to this point. We've discussed that on Monday, but football ultimately should be for the people. Mm. And there should be that element of competition that sounds naive and idealistic, but you know, here's the thing, Ryan, that naivety and that idealism is what has saved the day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's Chelsea fans getting out in the street to protest outside the ground going, we won't stand for this. Like it's all of that. It's every person that basically said, No, we're not going to be cynical about this. We won't just accept it. It won't be fatalistic. We'll actually stand up to this. And does that make sense? And one one more thing I want to say, and I know you said this as well, like there's going to be a real attempt to palm this off on, oh, the offshore owners, but to further your point, everybody, the owners, boards of directors, the executive level, the corporate communications team, they don't have a place in these clubs. And here's the thing, they're going to be fine, Ryan. They've got jobs in the private sector probably waiting for them, right? Mm-hmm. There's many jobs in the private sector waiting for them, but these people have no place in football.
2: I, I completely agree. None of them. Yeah, I completely agree. I want to read a tweet from, that I actually retweeted from Glenn Moore, mm. at Glenn Moore 7 on Twitter. It said, so the nuclear option has been taken and failed. Now UEFA should dump the new Champions League with its places for failed teams and the Premier League should redistribute wealth more equally. There's nothing to fear. They've, no, they've nowhere to go. This has the potential to be a seismic moment of change—a chance to roll back twenty years of the rich getting richer, of leagues becoming less and less competitive. Don't let the momentum drop. The legacy fans, the players, and the coaches, the media have power, and we must use it. I completely agree with all of this. I think that this, yeah, uh, this now puts the. Um, there was a line that I used in the in the in the piece where it was like kind of like the bell, better the devil you know than the devil that was secretly negotiated in boardrooms, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think yeah. that now people need to use this pressure to apply on UEFA and um other federations in order and well, yeah, football associations, et cetera, to implement change because for so long we heard about this concept as a as an eventuality possible as a, an eventual possibility. And we mm. always thought it was some time in the future, kind of like <laughs> kind of like climate change, to be honest. Yeah, But even though you saw the signs of it dripping in earlier, but it's actually happened. It's actually happened. They made their move. And in the modern era, never before have so many powerful clubs in Europe had so little leverage. Yes. None of them are members of the ECA anymore because they all quit their roles when they made the announcements. They've all stepped back from any official duties at UEFA
1: because of the breakaway. They have no leverage None, and they—that's incredible. Their voting rights are all gone, and now they're all subject. Where, and what
2: leaves them? What? What does that leave them? That leaves them stuck. They've got the wrath of the fans, the wrath of the authorities, the wrath of the rest of the clubs that they're competing against.
1: This is their Brexit. I hate to say yeah. it, but this is what they, they did. They basically left, and they were like, "We're going to go off and run things by ourselves, with disregard for what people. You know, the people at the bottom are going to be hurt." And now they've stepped out, and they have they have got no leverage either commercial or moral. Quite frankly. No, moral None. leverage
2: went ages ago, but yeah, I think this went ages this, this, ago. Yeah, yeah. It just meant that they've, as opposed to hiding in plain sight, they've been very visible in plain sight now. There's part of me that well, there's, there's a a re- I've got a really complicated, like, I was going to say pyramid of emotions going on at the moment where there's relief on one sense, even though this isn't done yet, by the way, but I just cannot no. see how this survives this. Yeah. I cannot see it unless I saw Tim Stillman writing a great tweet actually saying maybe. I'm paraphrasing, it was like, if maybe Arsenal might just stay in it. At least they'll win something.
1: <laughs> oh no. There's, there's not enough teams who have a power league. What is it now? It's going to be like five aside. <clears throat> side. There's going to be like six teams. Like players. a round robin. Getting, exactly. You know, yeah. Maybe yeah.
2: you and me will be able to join in. Oh goodness. The other emotion is that, um, it's, if I'm being honest, like pure fury. Yeah. Fury that the clubs made the move anyway. But there's part of me that, I mean, I wrote a tweet that was kind of flippant, a little bit like tongue in cheek. Some people took it very, very seriously, and to be honest, I didn't really have the time for it. But saying the least surprising thing about this is that you have uh, a couple of dudes, aka mainly Perez and a couple of other people there, who have massively mismanaged revenue-generating football clubs, rolling out a half-assed plan that has been massively mismanaged and not well thought out. Is the it's the least surprising thing about this whole thing? Yeah. They did the, the, the JP Morgan funding was a loan secured against the TV rights gamble, paid back with interest. So if they didn't secure the TV rights and they took out the loan, all of these clubs that had signed up would have been would have had to pay this loan back with interest. Um, so they didn't have any TV rights secured. They didn't have the permissions of any of the federations or the, uh, the associations to go ahead and do it. It was completely half-arsed and they gambled on their own arrogance, basically. Yeah. And their own size taking it through. And they didn't do it.
1: But there's part of me though that just thinks, was it actually fucking worth it? This is actually, you know what, this is funny. The pandemic created this. Do you know why? Because it basically stripped away all consequence and all feedback, right? This is not a plan that gets formed when you're going into work every single day and seeing people who are going to hate you for this decision making. It yeah, does. The timing of it isn't a fluke. Yeah. This is what happens when you're working from home, you're on Zoom, or you're sitting on the same few yachts with the same few people, and you're just completely detached from real people, and you think this is gonna fly because all those tweets that were sent out, all these plans that were drawn up, all those like smart boffins drawing up these little charts and spreadsheets, not a single one of them sat in a room with somebody who said, everyone else in football who actually likes football is going to go thermonuclear at this and they're never going to stop. You'll never be the end of it. This is such, um, this is such a, a grim diagnosis of where things are at that the decision-making at the top of football is basically such a closed shop that a bunch of people... Can get in a room and think this is a good idea. Yeah, the fact that this the, the fact this got past the draft stages, the fact this didn't, the fact this actually left the WhatsApp group. Yeah, some tweets got stay in the yeah. drafts, man. It's got to stay in the drafts, and it didn't. And they tweeted it out. They just tweeted it out. And you know, whoever sent, like I say, the corporate communications teams, the boards of directors, the owners, they should all go. absolutely, completely the reform, across yeah. the yeah. board. And the only the, the thing on. is, the only way. That
2: any of these clubs can gain an ounce of respect back um,
1: is by doing so. Yeah, yeah. Only way. It's the only way. <laughs> and now they've got to sit and watch the people who they gave up their voting rights to make the reforms that the game needs. Mm. That's exciting opportunity. And you're right, they cannot let up. This is why, to be honest, like, you know, I've been online talking about it, you've been talking about it, many of us have been talking about it. We, Everyone who's got an interest in football being fairer has to keep talking mm-hmm. and remember the clubs that stood tall. Remember, for example, if like, those who haven't seen Everton's statement on their Twitter account, I encourage you to go and read it. It's really wonderful. It, it's really almost a blueprint for the future of football it's set out so clearly in terms of the clubs you should respect. Go and read that as a statement of intent. Mm-hmm. This is a really exciting opportunity. And you know, I have to say, I love the kind of resistance of the clubs. This is a moment, okay? We don't get these moment, moments right. Yeah. The, and the reason I say this is because, look, this feels like we came back from the brink. It came back from an irreversible state of affairs because if that Super League had gone ahead, for whatever reason, however it happened, let's say that a, a load of cash, let's say that a sovereign wealth fund came in and said, we're going to bankroll the Super League. We don't know. If they have gone off another two weeks, we might have seen a huge sovereign wealth fund come in from another country and go, we're going to bankroll the Super League for the first 10 years just because it's a marquee project for us. We don't know. That could have happened if they'd just hung in there. We so rarely see moments in history where we have a chance to come back from the brink. Like we're in Berlin, rents are always rising, house prices are always rising, season tickets are always getting more expensive across the board for everything, for travel, for football. This is a moment where it's like, we actually have a chance to reset some of the rules. We have to take it and we have to show imagination. We have to show creativity and we have to be brave. and We have to stick together. And this isn't about like, because it's going to be very easy to nitpick and go, Oh, I'm no fan of this. I'm no fan of that. I'm no fan of UEFA. It's not about that. It's bigger than UEFA. Okay. Football was here before UEFA. It will be here after UEFA. Amazing, ordinary human beings created these institutions and these structures and they put their passion and their soul into it. And they're the ones we have to remember now. We have to go back and look at what were the principles, the founding principles of some of these great clubs. And we have to go there and live there for a while.
2: Yeah, I think that the important thing to remember is that this isn't a, this isn't a, this isn't a W yet.
1: No, no. It's about the work has to be done. The no, work in, to I be mean, done.
2: if you think about it, we're basically still worse off than we were this time last week in terms of where football's at, because this is still happening yeah. or this is this yeah, has yeah. actually happened. Yeah. In in the in the new Champions League format, UEFA announced that potential adjustments to the format approved could still be made if necessary. Yeah. Now I think the first thing that you need to do is just remove those coefficient places for, for clubs who don't qualify, that has to go. I yeah. think that anything that remotely resembles anything that was included in the Super League plan has to go, yeah. has to actually go straight away. If anything, I'm not sure, I don't think it will happen, but I think that UEFA should seriously consider, and I wrote this in the piece, I think UEFA should seriously consider reducing the size of the European competitions.
1: Yeah, I agree
2: spreading out prize money so that it's not super crippling for a, for some club not to finish in the Champions League or whatever but I'm not necessarily advocating for an old school straight knockout two-legged thing we say that sometimes as a little bit misty-eyed and there was a couple of people talking to us, talking to us about it but about how it just wouldn't it wouldn't, um, it would be a disaster for smaller nations but actually no it wouldn't because you've only had outside of Uh, Germany, Italy, Spain, and England in the last 20 years, you've only had one winner from France, one winner from Portugal, and one winner from the Netherlands in 20 years. The other 17 have been won by those four leagues. So you're not going to create more dominance, I don't think.
1: Well, the group stages were created to consolidate power. Yeah, That's exactly. The thing. But this they is the were, thing. They, even if you, even yeah, if you, were. even if yeah.
2: you readjusted the group stages a little bit, so you, you did include. It's, the thing is, the thing I believe is that the real work starts here. I think yes. that now what this has to do, this has to kickstart a decade-long process where the goal is to increase parity across the whole of Europe. It has to yeah. be that way. It just has to be because we've seen now that this. Is what the big clubs will do when they start getting bored or when they start thinking that they're too important.
1: Yes, exactly. We should exactly. be seeing
2: Ajax or PSV, if they win the Dutch League, consistently or you know, every couple of years going into the quarterfinals or hopefully the semifinals of every single European competition. Likewise for Portugal, likewise for hopefully someone like Belgium getting through to the round of th- the, the the round of sixteen. Try and spread the wealth. Try and improve the overall financial health of all of the leagues across Europe. From now, this is what has to happen. It has to. Can I be harsh? Can
1: I also want to throw in as well on the financial side as well. Can I throw this as well? There are people who've been allowed to buy football clubs with more debt than you'd be allowed to buy a house. Yeah. The, the, the irresponse and also like here's the thing, they've been allowed to buy um, football clubs. It's like buying a football club. It's like buying. It's equivalent to buying a house. And putting the debt on all your neighbours in your building. It's the same thing. It's what they've been doing for years. And one of the few benefits of this horrific ongoing saga is that people have understood now what you know how badly the the Glazers ownership of Manchester United has affected the whole of football. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And this form of ownership should not be allowed. There should be a line in the sand from now on where certain forms of certain forms of ownership you shouldn't be allowed to own clubs, I think, if you can't provide like a huge percentage of the cash up front. To be honest, I As think,
2: it, I, I, I genuinely, sorry to cut in, but I think yeah. that this might
1: kickstart a process now where clubs are more regulated. Like the German model, almost people yep. looking towards that. Yeah, it should be. Because look at the clubs that stood tall. The fact that, you know, the fact that Germany has this ownership structure was a firewall against this. Mm-hmm. God knows what would have happened if Germany had the ownership structures of the UK, you know, the permissions. And so it was, it was easy for clubs like Bayern and Dortmund to rest behind that. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that those individuals at those clubs didn't stand tall. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the structures were the checks and balances. And that has to be analysed in depth. And let's not be parochial. Let's not be like, oh, that's the German model. No, like, let's look at what worked
0: and what can work for everyone. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Jiffy Lube.
2: I think I think that if you have, uh, not that members could fully be trusted all the time because yeah, yeah, it's, not, it's not a completely, or well, it's not a completely 100% safe model, but what I do think it does is that it reduces, it reduces anything like this going ever going ahead. Exactly. ever being exactly. a possibility. Um, just quickly, we've just had a breaking statement from Jordan Henson who just wrote, we don't like it and we don't want it to happen. This is our collective position, our commitment to this football club and its supporters is absolute and you know, unconditional. You'll never walk alone. He was part of the captain's meeting that happened today from all the captains of the Premier League clubs who Mm. I don't think any of them wanted it to happen. Yeah. This is the first time I think that you have created such a widespread separation between playing staff and and coaches and anyone at executive level. Yeah. On this scale, I believe. Yeah.
1: Never seen it. Never seen it.
2: Because you would have known that Klopp would have walked into the dressing room after the news broke on Monday or when they went to meet to go to Leeds and just been like, yeah, no. No one in that I mean, dressing room would have been like, wow, can't wait for the Super League. Yeah.
1: No, one. I've said this before. They, they, they wanted to take Luke Shaw out of the Premier League and the Champions League. And he was like, I basically did this. My career has basically partly been so people could come from anywhere and play in these tournaments. I wanted to prove that anyone could do it. Anyone that had a dream to be a football that was good enough could make it and do it. That was literally like one of the principles of his career beyond money, beyond anything. Mm-hmm. You can do it one day. What, are you going to go up to play in the Super League? That's your dream.
2: I need to correct um, that statement. It's gone out from multiple Liverpool players. Same statement. They've all posted okay. it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that at the moment, everything's going at a, a million miles an hour and I think that it's changing daily. Um, mm. Hence why, like we say at the top of the show, we we pulled the Wrighty's House episode because it just sounded extremely out of date already and it was only recorded today. Yeah. I think that this is going to change even further. I, I don't see how it can survive. I know I've said it already, I don't think, I just don't think it can. I think the one, the one executive who I think might escape this is Laporte, uh, actually.
3: Yes, yes. Because
2: uh, as you probably remember, when Bartomeu made his exit speech, he kind of threw in this, uh, I've left you kind of like a present that will secure Mm. the future of Barcelona, which was essentially the agreement to sign up to the Super League. Laporte yeah. has been on record as being against it a couple of years ago, or maybe even a year ago. But I think a lot of that was down to it being a, a known Bartomeu policy. Yeah. So Laporta here can basically just be like, "We were never thinking of joining. This wasn't a this wasn't this board who signed up to it." Blah blah blah, and I think he probably escapes this pretty clean. Yeah, actually. Well, actually, I, that, I actually think Barcelona are probably the ones out of all of these clubs who get out of this. Well,
1: there's, quite, okay. there's quotes coming out from him here, um, from Laporta. Barcelona will not join the Super League and, until our socios vote for it. It's their club, so it's their decision. There you go. So that is a really kind of...
2: I mean, he's a master politician. Let's not uh, get yeah, it wrong.
1: That, that's, but that's how you handle it. That's how you handle yeah. it. And I think...
2: I'd be really interested to see what the knock on effect now or the domino effect is of um the resignations at board level and extremely and, interesting, yeah. And also what kind of pressure because you've got to remember that fans are returning to stadiums potentially soon in the in England and the UK. Um there were fans in in a small amount of fans in the second um FA Cup semi final between Leicester and Southampton on Sunday. Fans of those clubs who signed up for this are going to make a hell of a lot of noise. And I think one thing that this has, well, not one thing. I think there are a number of positives that I've seen from this. First of all, I think it's it's unified football fandom on a level that I've never really seen before.
1: Never. Yeah. yeah.
2: Of course, there'll be some people who are just pro Super League. That's totally fine. Mm. I, if you are 100% pro Super League, for whatever reasons you have as a football fan, that is your right to be so. Yeah. It's not my opinion. I don't agree with it. I have multiple reasons why I don't agree with it. However, if you personally prefer that kind of structure, that's fine. It's, it's up to you. But I think on the whole, the response, as you've seen, has been pretty overwhelmingly universally united. Um, and I yeah. actually kind of tweeted that, you know, maybe Fiorentino Perez was right and the European Super League would say football after <laughs> The unifying force. Because... Maybe maybe Perez is just playing 5D chess all along. I mean, he's not, obviously, <laughs> because this guy rushed through Real Madrid presidential elections and ran ran unopposed in order to put this through this year, remember. Like, yeah. This guy's a, he's a bad knob, Perez. He's a bad knob, yes. And um, he's one of many who have been behind this decision. And I hope every single one of them loses their roles. And I hope that fans of every single club who are in positions to do so put all of the pressure they can on the owners and liaise with supporters' trusts and supporters' associations from these clubs to restructure or to sell, because it's got you know using Arsenal as an example, Stan Kroenke activated a compulsory buying order for for remaining shares when he when he took over the full running of the club. He didn't need to do that. No, he took the option. Hundreds of families who had had a a share in Arsenal Football Club that had been passed down from generation generation to generation had no choice but to give it up because this man who had already had major control of the club wanted to gobble up every single last share. All of it, yep. I'll never forgive that guy for that. I'll add it to the list of things that I will never forgive that guy for doing since he's become involved in Arsenal Football Club. If I had any leverage or sway over what happens to that football club I would absolutely want him out of there. Yeah. I i mean, there, there's been some rumours coming through, and obviously this is a rapidly evolving situation, but not that I am pro any government meddling in sport, to be honest, because historically that doesn't bode too well. Mm. But I do wonder whether the government in the UK may, there have been some noises about how much they admire the German 50 plus one rule and whether they may put pressure on the FA or the Football League in England specifically to implement their own version of that, where all clubs have to be in some way fan-owned.
1: It's interesting the British government because after leaving the EU, the Premier League is a, is a major export, right? It becomes even more important, but as, as a... It's a thing of national prestige, but also like as a huge revenue generator Mm -hmm. and the European Super League would have nuked that revenue. And a lot of people on Twitter going, oh my gosh, it's just football. It's so boring. No, this is football as an industry as responsible, Like it's, it's, it's reached, it extends so far into other industries that for football to be undermined, destroyed as an industry in the UK would have had vast knock-on effects it's a small example, but I had a chat with a friend who was like, this would really affect me and my role with what I do in relation to football just this evening. I had a chat about you. This yeah. would have really affected my income. Just one individual I was talking to, like a vast impact, a lot of people and not just the financial side, but the, the social fabric. Right. And whatever it takes, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not against the British government. I'm very critical of them in many respects. They've got some things really right. They did a great job with the vaccine rollout, like respect on that. And this is another chance to do something right. And it's how they engage, right? How they engage the Premier League and the FA. And I would just say, try and empower the clubs that spoke out about this and stepped up when it was not convenient to do it. Like it was really, it's becoming much easier now to come out against the Super League as with every passing hour, things are falling apart. But there were, there were individuals and in clubs that stood tall when things were much more in the balance and they are the ones that I think have got the vision to push stuff through. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a real opportunity to be honest for, for like European cooperation that we haven't really seen in the last like three, four years, if we're being honest, there's been a lot of like, you know, sniping between nations. We're not going to name names. We know, you know, it's been there, but this is an opportunity to do something really positive with like European partners. Do you yeah. mean it's a chance for? This is a chance for really amazing conversations. What I'm excited for as well, Ryan, I'm excited for there'll be a load of conversations we're not aware of that happen between supporters and rival clubs, in their own countries and across countries and across borders, and the grassroots. Let's please take this as a huge opportunity to strengthen the grassroots relationships, mm-hmm. not just at a kind of financial level, but a kind of like a personal level, a yeah. community level. I think yeah.
2: the yeah, if the, the thing, I would. Um... I would echo all of that. And I would say that I think that this has to be a tipping point in football. Yes. It has to to be be a moment where, I mean, there will be a a number of fans of clubs in various parts of Europe just being like, well, yeah, we do this already. Yeah, And the long-term future of the game in its current form isn't sustainable. The move that those clubs made was the completely wrong move,
1: complete wrong move. What Can thing? I come to your, yeah, yeah, go for it. Carry on. I, I want to come back to your climate change analogy because I feel it's, it's really important, right? I think it's really important. The climate change analogy is really important to me because climate change to me is like the biggest challenge mm-hmm. we're facing in the next 20 years. But your point is really valid because there's an argument with climate change that we should just like close off our borders, run to high hills, like, and there's basically like devour the small pool of wealth among a small pool of people, right? And this is almost like a metaphor for that. like. Let's close the borders. Football's losing revenues. Let's just like grab the small pie and keep it. But just when everyone was like, when hope was lost, people stepped in. Regular people stepped in and were like, we're not going to go for this. And now we've got a world where, and we're going to get this moment with climate change as well. There's going to be a moment in the next 10, 15 years, maybe even sooner, where big countries start closing borders and being selfish and hoarding resources. And there's going to come another tipping point where people are like, no, human civilization is more, is more than just a few people hoarding everything to themselves. It's about sharing. It's about community. It's about grassroots. And I know this sounds like pretentious. I was being almost, you're just like using these metaphors. No, I think that actually football, because football touches so many areas of society, football foreshadows wider social problems and how we behave, how we react to resources and football foreshadows, how can we, we can react later. So I just think, let's take the lesson from this. Let's, let's share. Do you know what I mean? Not to, not to feel preachy, but let's actually learn to share better.
2: We've got to. I mean, the thing is, is like, I wrote in the Ringer piece that none of us are naive enough to assume that capitalism isn't going to be a part of modern football now. It it has to be because of the level it's operated at. It doesn't mean you have to have it 100 mile an hour, full steam ahead capitalism. You can balance it up. And I know that sounds a little bit idealistic, but it's the same with the legacy fan, future fan, or the localized fan and global fan thing. I hate that argument. Yeah, One of the things that this whole thing has has raised, and I'm just going to echo some points that I said on writer's House that are obviously confined to the lost tape vault. But... Delete the scenes, yeah. Um, I hate the xenophobia that's been involved in arguments like this. Bad owners yes. are bad owners. A, Mike Ashley is a present owner. He's an English owner. He's still a yeah. shit fucking owner. Um, yeah. I don't... I, I hate the way that football also pits local fans against global fans by... Yeah catering for one because they are deemed more valuable than the other in 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 a in a like in a monetary way we've seen in the last year of the pandemic how important match going fans are yes because if they weren't important then tv companies wouldn't have piped in fake crowd noise yeah but also global fans are super important and just because you live on the West Coast of the States, it doesn't mean that your love for Arsenal is any less than someone who is a season ticket holder. It can yeah. be different for sure, but I don't think that there would be this kind of divide among localised or global fans if they were all taken into consideration by the authorities and associations and confederations, which they're not. No. They're all, they just see where the money is and they target for those. I used an analogy on Wright's House, kind of similar to what you were saying about climate change, but Klopp said something that we've echoed a, a million times on here about how fans and players are the two most important parts of a football club because without either of them, you're fucked. Yes. No yep. football club can exist without any players and no football club can exist at a professional level without fans. Can't do it. Any level. This situation is another situation where fans and players and coaches were stuck out there front and center to take the heat for the big boys up top who are all insulated. And it's, yep. like, it's like recycling. Like We can all separate up. The, 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 the responsibility for recycling is put on the consumer. We have yes. to separate our plastics from our papers and our, and our glass goes in a separate thing and our biodegradables goes in this bin. But unless a small pool of extremely wealthy people at the top of that tree don't change their ways, it's completely irrelevant. We might as well all chuck it in one bag. absolutely. And I'll, I'm going to continue to recycle anyway because I do, but still, this is what has to happen in football now. Yes. The, the small pool of people, at the absolute top, have to listen to the people who are doing the work, more work than they should be. I feel so sorry for the players. I feel so sorry for the coaches. And I feel so sorry for every single football fan, any fan of a club who wasn't invited in these conversa- into these conversations. Any fan of a club, who was, and just any fan who is maybe a fan of a of a club lower down the pyramid, who is looking at what's going on and just being like, "What the fuck are you all doing?"
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Because football fans, local, global, old, young, anywhere,
1: online, offline, it was their combined passion. No matter what what color, no
2: matter what gender, no matter what age you are, no matter what religion you are, they've. All football fans have been dicked around, no end, for too long yes. now. Yeah, yeah. The warning signs have been there for ages and it should have been a case of, a case of prevention, not cure. Yes. But now we've got to cure it. And yeah. if this whole incident hasn't scared the absolute shit out of everyone at UEFA, out of everyone at FIFA and out of everyone at every single federation and at executive level of any football club who has been dicking around with these rules,
1: Secret meetings. And they have
2: shit. to. They have to wake up.
1: I hope they're ter- I hope they're terrified. I hope they're absolutely terrified I tonight. do. Yeah. Yeah. I hope they're obviously not physically I hope they I hope they're professionally terrified. I don't expect them to experience shame because these people are incapable of shame. I don't think they've got the dignity for shame, frankly. But I'm. I'm with you on that. I just hope that this is a moment of you know the UEFA people. We got away with this because they're lucky You know, they got lucky. They got lucky that this coup attempt was so incompetent. Yeah. Right. But the next attempt will be smarter, slicker, there'll be more cash behind it. Next time, there won't be so much debt because these people will be back. They tried again just a few months after they first floated these plans and they'll try again a few years from now, a couple of years from now. They'll try again because that's what these people do.
2: Mm -hmm. Whilst we've been on Airman City, have confirmed that they have pulled out of the Super League. Right. And also, Shaq have been relegated, which is another story entirely that we'll cover later on, on another show because we should probably leave this here for tonight.
1: Absolutely, yeah,
2: yeah. Apologies if this was all over the place. It's been a long couple of days as I imagine for anyone who's trying to cover this stuff. We'll be back with you on Friday. Yeah, yeah. In some capacity. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who's been tweeting us. Thanks to everyone who's shared the the pieces in the podcast this week. We hope you're all staying safe and well. This this yes, has been extremely yes. exhausting this week. So we hope you're all hanging in there. Don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Don't forget to check Stadio on Twitter, Stadio Football on Instagram. Check the pieces on the website. You can listen to our outros playlist on Spotify, Stadio Outros. Search for that on Spotify. Speaking of which, we're playing out on Bruno Spereri Les Electronician. I hope I've pronounced that right. We thought we'd go out on some chaos. Chaos slash party time. <laughs> uh, anything you want to add, Musa? What agenda do you want to push now? There's a big, there's a big void. There's a big push, void
1: of agenda. You know, I want to push the hope agenda. I'm pushing the hope agenda because I want people to take this moment to reflect and to imagine. So if you can do anything for you the next few days, imagine what a better footballing world would look like and then just push for that and just don't give up. Like keep working together at this point. Every voice counts at this point because we're still in this mess.
2: Yeah. Football fans, you're very extremely important. You are. We're we'll back on Friday. Take care. See you then.